Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. This is our post-Rose Bowl edition of it. I am Jim Galanti along with T. Frank Carr. Ready to give you the wrap-up, and our show is brought to you by 409tailgateclub.com. You know them from the great barbecue sauces and the Bloody Mary mix. Now they're introducing their coffee barbecue rubs. I got to enjoy them over the holiday. Fantastic, as always. And if you're interested in all of their products, including the coffee barbecue rub, just go to 409tailgateclub.com. All right, T. Frank, big win for the Nittany Lions on Monday night, 35-21. It is win number 11 on the season. Penn State beat a top 10 team so that they haven't beaten anybody, kind of goes away. Your overall thoughts on the performance? I don't know, Jim. Would you might maybe you would call that a signature win? I and by might. the way, I'm puking in my own mouth having to discuss signature wins. And I even I even gave that analysis pregame because I was so conflicted about these two teams. Uh, it, you know, it was a great game for Penn State. Um, I believe after that, watching them in the third quarter, that they were going to win that game. But Cam Rising leaving with an injury significantly changed things. And I understand that the tackling was an issue for Penn State on defense. But the thing, the singular thing that was keeping Utah in the game was Cam Rising making good decisions and getting out of good, you know, bad situations uh, for the Utah offense. He finished the game before he left with 95 yards passing. That, you know, that's kind of their formula, right? Of, you know, they'll lean on the run game and they'll lean on him, but they were not getting it through the air. And Penn State was churning out some big plays, even in the first half. They were churning out some big plays. Singleton hits a big run. Um, and then, you know, the game shifts there in tone, but Cam Rising didn't make somebody bust a coverage later in the game. Um, and he wasn't going to be able to stop that on the defensive side of the ball. So I don't want to make a one to one analysis, but it felt like Penn state was getting the things they needed to in the game plan to win. But the overall, the, the, the fabric of the game changed when rising went out. That being said, it was an excellent win for Penn state. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but describing how the game went, that is something you can't ignore. And I think should be part of the top line stuff of Sean Clifford plays the best game of his career. Cam rising gets knocked out of another Rose bowl. And Nick Singleton goes off. Those are kind of the, in my head, the way that, to me, the story of the game unfolded. Going into the game, T. Frank, I felt that Penn State had more talent. They were the more talented team. But the variable in this game was Cam Rising. It, it would be his ability not just to make plays, but to make plays on a broken play. And if you look... Mm-hmm. In the first half, and we'll go through this a little in a little more detail, the drive where it was third and long, Penn State brought pressure, Cam Rising, he just chucked the ball, Marquise Wilson mm-hmm. falls down, they get a long play, that happens. The play where Cameron Rising got hurt, 
Again, it was a third and long pressure on him. He finds a way to escape. So it felt like Penn State was performing, doing what they were supposed to do on defense. If Utah was going to win, it was about this very tough quarterback making something out of nothing. And we know that he's able to do that. So, yes, I Mm -hmm. agree. It was... it did change the tone of the game, but I think Penn State would have still won the game, and they were starting to take control of it prior to uh, uh, Cam Rising going out of the game. Let's let's go through this game a bit. Let's uh, from start to finish, T. Frank, because I want to get your take on a lot of that happened. Of course, Penn State starts slow. We as Penn mm-hmm. State fans have just have to get used to that, I guess, right? Yeah, and this is something I asked James Franklin about when it comes to um, how game flow works. Because it, it's it's not, I don't think it's exactly what we think it is. So you come in with a game script, and we always hear that you script plays to start the first drive. Um, but we don't know kind of the formula or the reason behind it. Well, earlier this year, I asked him about like, so when you are trying to figure out what's going on in the game, Utah's been off for a month, right? So they've been game planning for you specifically for three weeks, you know, however long their process is. So they come into the game, they might have an entirely different personality. It's it's always that discovery phase. And what he talked about was, when you start the game, you want to call a bunch of plays that have a lot of answers because you don't know what you're going to get. And you need to be able to find out, you know, as he said, what's the blitz of the week? What's the wrinkle that they're going to throw at you? People are going to eventually fall back on what they do, but there's always going to be the game plan specific stuff. And uh, you don't want to throw too much of your, your, your game plan specific things out until you kind of peg what you're going to be doing. And that's to say Penn State had seven plays on their first two drives where they uh, get a sack, you know, on the first on the first drive, they get three and out. And then on the next drive, they get a first down and Mitchell Tinsley catches the ball at the and doesn't advance. Right. So it doesn't get that first down. I think how that's that play, you know, went. So not getting a first down, not getting more information about what's going on in this game. How are they trying to play it? Um, And then they go on these extended drives. Um, so Penn State on their third drive, and this is a, a faster turnaround than we've seen from the Nittany Lions, 12 plays, 82 yards, and a touchdown. Their next drive comes with four minutes left in, this, in, the, in the first half because Utah went on a 13-play, 75-yard drive that took up half a quarter. So the offense only had the ball four times in the first half. That was part of the game script for Utah is to suffocate the football and play that style to keep Penn State's athletes off the field. But... In response to that, Penn State then goes and gets another touchdown. So I, I wouldn't say that they started slow. Uh, you know, I understand that it, it they did in a certain sense. But in a lot of games, you normally get more than just three drives in a half. I guess they got five here because they did have one right before the half where they, they, were, they had to punt the football. But in general, 14 points in the first half is actually pretty good against a good defense. Um, and then in, in these situations, I thought they adjusted pretty quickly. Uh, to what Utah was doing, which we can get into if you want. Well, let's uh, first start with this. I had a little bit of a Auburn game deja vu feeling when on their own side of the ball they had of uh, the field, they had a fourth and one, and I thought 
this looks just like the Auburn game where they went for it and they didn't make it, if you recall. This time, James Franklin chose to punt the ball. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised at all that he punted there and didn't go for it? Not really because of the, the personality of Utah. You know, the 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 way the game is going to go is that Utah's not going to put up 50, 45 points. These are two good defenses. So the the pressure to score points wasn't as high. You need to match, but you don't need to outscore necessarily because they're going to play their style of football and you're going to play your style of football. Um, in that Auburn game, I think it was more about we want to pounce on these guys and we want to be hyper aggressive because we feel like we can we can get the if we get up quickly in that game, they don't have an answer in this game. You wanted to play ball control, field possession, all those things that, you know, I, I think sometimes I roll my eyes at. But I do understand in this game, knowing the DNA of these two teams, that's how it's going to play out. So don't. Don't go counter to game script and put yourself in a bad situation where you make the mistake first. So uh, we we get to these points where I think we take these grandiose overarching themes when it comes to coaches always do X, Y, or Z. And I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that, even if we are talking about James Franklin, who is a very aggressive coach and wants to go analytically smart, go for the fourth down, get the yards, get the points early, all those things. Um, it doesn't always have to play out that way. And I thought it was a, um, an appropriate use of the punt here. Obviously James Franklin and has said this also, when things work out, then it's a good call. If it doesn't work, if they had gone for it and made it, it would have been a great call, of course. And so in this scenario, uh, everything seemed to work out for them. Penn State did eventually uh, get the lead, had a night drive to go up 7-0. Utah responds with their 13-play drive that you alluded to earlier. I had somebody send me a note, T. Frank, saying at, at that time, there you go again, a James Franklin team getting pushed around. And it mm-hmm. reminded, just like the Michigan game, but it reminded mm-hmm. me of our conversation after Michigan when the quick storyline was Michigan was bigger, stronger, more physical, pushed Penn State's defense around. You said not necessarily they outflanked them. It appeared to me that there were plenty of mistakes Penn State's defense made at that on that drive. Overrunning plays, not staying gap uh, disciplined. What did you see on that long Utah drive? Yeah, so I haven't had a chance to watch the film back and specifically go into that. But yes, I noticed some of the same things where uh, one of the things I said uh, during the game, you know, if you want to follow me on Twitter or on the BWI message board or anything like that, is like they they were doing a lot of things that were Michigan-like. They weren't pulling into the boundary and they weren't pulling and getting out into space with linemen, but they were jet sweeps and arounds hitting the outside. And like I said, uh, you have a month to prepare. And I think they they were smart. They saw the same thing on film that, that everyone else did that was watching. Is if, if you play your base offense and you run inside zone and outside zone against Penn State and you give them the, the blueprint, they're going to shut it down. They're athletic. They're not as small as everyone wants to make them out to be. I mean, Abdul Carter is not a small dude. You've got some aggressive guys. Akeem Beeman plays bigger than he is, even if he isn't big enough. I understand that conversation but he does he's not he's not wafer thin um 
and they were doing things outside of the structure of what they normally do. And Penn State was missing on those things. I thought Curtis Jacobs struggled in this game uh, with contain. I thought he overran a couple of plays and, you know, was a little bit out of position. But then they tightened things up later in the game. And you can only do those things. This is the important thing. You can only do those things so many times before you have to go back to your base offense. You can't run jet sweeps as the mainstay of your offense. It's just not sustainable. So they got it. They got that drive. And and uh, one thing I want to come back to in the next segment is during the first half and because of a large portion of this drive, they were in uh, three and uh, under four yards per third down. So they were in their game script the entire first half. So the game was close. And that is a large reason as to why, because they were doing all those things to make Penn State off kilter. That will be it for quarter number one. We'll continue the Rose Bowl conversation when we come back. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is T. Frank Carr. We are talking Rose Bowl and Penn State's big 35-21 win over the Utah Utes. Uh, T. Frank, when we uh, finished up in quarter number one, you were just mentioning you wanted to hit on something as soon as we got to quarter number two. Yeah, so we talk about starting slow and game plans and and kind of the way the offense functions. And James Franklin talked about this in his post-game comments is these are two good defenses. Uh, Coming into this game, one of the things I highlighted that Penn State fans should know is that Utah plays kind of a kamikaze defense. They play cover zero, which means no safety help and everyone in the box. If you're not covering a player, you're going after the quarterback. They played cover zero more than any other program in America. So that's a lot of what happened in the first couple drives. That's a lot of what happened at the beginning of the game is that first sack. Sean Clifford's under pressure because it's cover zero and uh, they're not, you know, they don't have a hot route that is getting to the sticks. You know, they're not the three and out happens because kind of Utah's game script was able to, to work in that situation. And then they were able to overcome it. Um, so that's another part of the, the story. When we talk about cover cover zero, the, the kind of the tapestry of this game, what are the moments and the, the things that actually made or break uh, the, the game? Nick Singleton's 88 yard run or 87 yard run 
was against cover zero. James Franklin talked about that as well during the post game of that was a big part of the game was how are you going to beat cover zero? And they had a couple of tricks up their sleeve to try and crease the defense because as we saw in the, in the college football playoff where Michigan is doing this. And by the way, Utah leads the nation, but everyone, every defense coordinator now is running cover zero, which is to me, this is, this is one of the interesting storylines of what's next for college football. I wonder that every year, um, this year, the flavor of the year was everyone's playing all out blitz. And I think after some of these examples that we're going to defense coordinators are going to take a long, hard look at that and maybe not do that as much next year because Utah gave up a big play. Michigan gave up a huge play at a critical moment in the game. And we've seen instances of this, you know, Ohio State gave up a huge play to Parker Washington. This is the story of the game. And, and it's not just all about what Penn State is doing. It's also about what they're trying to counter and what Utah does. So they were able to overcome these things. They had a plan and they were able to execute it throughout the game. I was mentioning to you that I heard from a couple people uh, talking about, here we go again, Penn State getting pushed around. And they were basing it on that one drive. And really, that was it as far as uh, Utah marching the ball down the field. The other series where they scored, let's face it, it was really Penn State put them in third and long. Yep. Utah, desperation. Kalen King went to the locker room with uh, an undisclosed situation. (laughs) And Marquise Wilson came on the field because somebody had to go to the locker room. Wink, wink. And uh, yeah, you have an athlete that was put in a situation where if there was one player in the secondary that I was concerned that plays at the level of Utah and is not, I think, a clear cut above the Utah receivers, it was Marquise Wilson. And they picked on him on that one play. We've seen teams do this throughout the season. He's a good football player. He's got a lot of potential. Um, You know, he's been moved around a lot. So it's not like he's had a ton of time to really improve as a corner. And he still can do that next season. But yeah, that 140 yard pass, an explosive play led to points. I'd also point out that an 11 play drive. So Utah had drives of 7, 13, 11 and 8. And they resulted in an interception, a touchdown, a punt and an interception. So they had to drive the football. They had to put methodical drives together. And on the on the drive where Cam Rising got hurt, they were again responding to an explosive play touchdown by marching the football down the field. So, you know, when I talk about Cam Rising and his impact on this game, they were putting a drive together to respond, whether they got a field goal or whatever, you know, we'll never know. Um, but I'm sorry, that was the opening drive. They 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 forced a Penn State forced a punt on that. So they had taken an advantage in the game. And then Utah was responding, and that's when they threw the inter- the backup quarterback through the interception in, in the game. Um, so that that whole part of of the game there, I think, is is telling in the third quarter how Penn State adjusted and forced the game pressure onto Utah. Let's talk a little bit about staying in the first half, and trust me, we'll get to that big second half on Penn State's second touchdown. I believe uh, Sean Clifford completed about four passes in a row, leading them into the end zone. Mm -hmm. You talked earlier about Penn State's first possession or two. They might be conservative. They might be probing to find something. What is Utah doing? Was that second touchdown kind of a result of them figuring out what Utah's defense was doing? 
Yes, yes, and I believe that on that second touchdown, it was that was the drive where he had the very obvious changing the play to get a big third down conversion and uh, throw the football over the middle of the field. And to me, the other part of this game that that I was shocked by in the run up to the game, watching Utah, they they run a lot of coverages. Everyone runs a lot of coverages, but it's like, what do you major in? And this is primarily a single high team. They'll run a little bit of two high safety, but they run a lot of cover one, cover three. And those are single high safeties. You're playing either three people deep or you're playing uh, man coverage with a single high safety. And they were running some of those things, but they ran way more too high than I was expecting. And against this particular team, what do we know about Sean Clifford? Force him to throw to the outside. Force him to throw down the sideline. He's not as accurate down there. And those that's if you force Penn State to funnel things to the outside, you'll frustrate this offense. And they kept they kept rotating and opening up the middle of the football field. And on that that play to Tinsley, where he got the big conversion that sparked the drive to get the touchdown, he's changing the play at the last second to get into a uh, a two high a cover two beater where he's the Tinsley runs over the middle of the football field and they kept doing that. They just kept going to that coverage. And I, you know, that was the most mystifying thing of the game for me from Utah is, did you not watch what happened when Minnesota did that? Uh, Minnesota ran to cover two the whole game and they gave up 45 points. And this particular defense does not have a strong pass rush. And they were trying to with line stunts and, uh, you know, some defensive games up front, some zone blitzing. They were trying to play kind of a too high shell and force throws underneath and attack that way and force Penn State to throw short and then rally to the football. But if there's one thing I thought they learned from the Pac-12 championship game or the, the first time around with Utah or with with USC is that they don't have the pass rush to get home consistently now they were able to get there early in the game and maybe that gave them some confidence later in the game to only rush four but drew shelton held up enough sean clifford played the best game of his career the most complete game um you know even by pff metrics it was the highest graded game of his career and it was against one of the better teams he's seen because they were giving him situations where he was comfortable throwing the football over the middle of the field and he had a clean pocket enough times to me, that's the story of the game is, is that lack of adjustment to go to more of a pressure situation because we saw early in the game, Penn State was the receivers were not getting separation when they were playing cover one. They were making some catches, but they were not getting separation. And then all of a sudden they, they went to the zone and Penn State, you know, Clifford in his sixth year at Penn State started picking apart a zone that he was recognized. He recognized he was comfortable throwing into. So, yeah, that to me, that was the biggest thing of how they adjusted was. There was a little more cover zero against the run than there was against the pass. And then in those high leverage situations, they didn't go to it. They didn't pressure Clifford. They they played conservative and they paid for it. In this game, just a real quick note on uh, an overview. Nick Singleton only had seven carries. And I guess this is that nuts? Two- yes, <laughs> it, it is nuts. And and I realized that uh, uh, Katron Allen had 11 carries. But this was uh, your two primary running backs totaled only 18 carries between them. I guess mm-hmm. this goes a little bit uh, to your Utah wanted to hold on to the ball and just not give Penn State very many opportunities. And it's Penn not State like- only had. Yeah, Penn State only had 54 plays in the game. 
That's uh, they scored on some big plays in the third quarter, which kind of changed the math. But yeah, <laughs> eighty-three plays to fifty-four. When I was looking back at the at the game log, and uh, you were talking about, I was like, where are all the plays? Clifford only has twenty-three passes. They technically have thirty-one runs because he got sacked a couple times. But like, damn, they barely <laughs> had the football in this game. Well, you know, I think it says something when Nick Singleton has seven carries and Tank Smith has four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, part of it, the fourth quarter bleeding the clock, then you go on another long drive of nine plays and Penn State didn't have the ball of the fourth quarter. But that that third quarter was decisive. Um, and that's why when we talk about Cam Rising's injury and the explosive plays and again, the 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 88 yard touchdown to Keandre Lambert Smith was a busted coverage. Um, and, and Clifford said in his postgame comments, anyone could have thrown that football. Because the safety, again, in cover two, but this time they're running a route right over him, like right through his zone. There's one thing he's supposed to do, and that is be the deepest player on that side of the field. Nobody gets behind you. And he just, he bit on a a play fake. He bit on what he was looking at in the underneath coverages, and he didn't maintain that particular part of his job. And that's not cam rising. That's the defense busting a coverage. So it was just, I don't want to say it was like, it was Penn state's night, but you know, Utah made more mistakes than Penn state did when it comes to offense and defense. Um, one guy I want to shout out before we get through and we get to the, you know, what the next segment chop Robinson was awesome in this game. The pressure in the first half wasn't getting home because, uh, Utah was in third and medium. Once they were, they were forced to throw the football at the end of the half when they had to throw because of time. And then when the game pressure got there, the reason Cam Rising was running out of the pocket is because the defensive pressure was incessant. Uh, and he was phenomenal. He was in the backfield so many times. The interception by Kalen King happened because he immediately beat the right tackle and was in Cam Rising's face and Rising had to loft the football. So I just before I, I didn't want to go another minute without mentioning how good Chop Robinson was in the game because he was a very um, I think underrated part of what happened on on Monday and uh, and just because you don't get a sack or you don't get a hit on the quarterback doesn't mean you're not fundamentally affecting the way that Utah is throwing the football. They refused to hold on the ball and when they did, Cam Rising was the reason they were getting out of pressure. He was running for his life the whole game and the reason was Chop Robinson was getting home. Very good. By the way, this is typically when we go to quarter number three is when we go to Ask T. Frank. We're not going to do an Ask T. Frank segment this week because we have so much to talk about with the bowl game. Make sure you send in our question, your questions. Next week we will be back to Ask T. Frank, but stick around. More Rose Bowl talk in quarter number three. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. 
You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news, 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. This is typically when we do Ask T. Frank. We're holding off on that. But send in your Rose Bowl questions and anything else for T. Frank for next week. We will get back to it. But right now, I want to talk more Rose Bowl with T. Frank. We essentially got through the first half. Let's get into that exciting third quarter, T. Frank. And it looked like Utah had the very long drive in uh, the first half that scored their first touchdown. They then had the drive with the where Marquise Wilson fell down. That was the big play. But other than that one drive, Penn State's defense seemed to be pretty much in control of things. And we especially saw that in the second half when they started to get pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, the the drive to me that was kind of the, the turning point was the first one of the third quarter. And really, the to end... Let, let me back up, actually, because one moment we've we haven't talked about yet is... Penn State goes six plays, 19 yards, and then they punt the football to Utah. And Utah has the opportunity to double dip here. Even if they get a field goal, they can go in 17-14 and then have the ball to start the third quarter. And Penn State, because of the coin flip, didn't have the opportunity to defer to the second half, right? So this was a critical phase. Penn State gets a touchdown. They can then respond uh, to Utah. You know, it's tied up. They They have the first crack with a couple with. You know, a couple minutes left in the game, two minutes left in the game to go down the field. And and they don't, you know, they can't, they can't muster a drive. Penn State's defense comes out and shuts down Utah to the point where they get the sack and time runs out. Um, the worst possible thing that can happen, probably the worst play that Cam Rising had in the game was taking that sack and being, you know, kind of killing the opportunity for points, even if he was able to throw the football away and it's fourth down or whatever, like it ended the drive. And then, the first drive of the third quarter, they force a punt. So they negated what could have been a huge momentum swing for Utah because Utah was never able to get into the situation Penn State was. Whichever team was able to force more third and longs. And Utah, in the in the beginning of the game, forced more. Um, and Penn State was able to counter that. But if the game wore on and Utah was able to get those pressure packages late in the game because they had the lead and they were dictating the terms of the flow of the game by by points and, you know, making Penn State chase, that would have been a huge that would have been a huge uh, difference in, in the way that this uh, game went and the outcome. But Penn State's defense, they got there with pressure um, and they did a better job of stopping the run on that second drive that so. This was a game where I do think they got a little bit pushed around. Um, they were they were not. It, it's not about the whole team. It's about individual players not keeping their assignments. And when PJ Mustafer was not on the field, he was not. I wouldn't say he was excellent, but his backups did not perform to a level to keep Utah in check. And then there were some 
pretty bad missed tackles because Utah played with some physicality and ran downhill and you saw guys just kind of bumper pool off of <laughs> some tackles because they didn't have length to wrap up. That is a that's a, that was an issue. But overall the defense held strong and they were able to to kind of adjust in that third quarter and stop some of the early down running and stop some of the early down plays. That's really where things changes. On first down, they're doing a better job of making it second and long. And suddenly you have Cam Rising in third and long. And the more opportunities you force there, the better your defense, the, the, the better the chance that you have. And that was what happened is that, you know, then on third down, you can get your pressure package and you can move Abdul Carter to the mic in your in your prowler package. And you can do a lot of the things at the end of the season they were doing with pressure and and quarterback spying and things like that. But that was the problem I had early in the game is Cam Rising's getting out of the pocket because, you know, on it's not third down <laughs> and you don't have Abdul Carter out there spying and running things down. You are you he's he's escaping pressure and you don't have your eraser out there. They were able to get in more of their situations in that third quarter before rising leaves with an injury. And you make a good point. That was back-to-back stops for the defense in the first half uh, where Utah could have taken the lead and momentum and then gotten the kickoff. And then Penn State gets the ball back, their first possession of the second half, and they they were pinned back inside their 10-yard line. And lo and behold, Nick Singleton pops one for 87 yards. If it wasn't the defense turning things around, that play certainly stamped it as now it's Penn State's game. You already mentioned that the safety, the mistakes he made there, but what made that play for Penn State uh, on their side with Nick Singleton? I believe that was third and very short. Yeah, it was third and short, and Utah was in cover zero. So again, they were in another pressure package where they're trying to do everything they can to keep Penn State from getting that first down and forcing the punt, which means they're throwing all of the bodies at the box. Um, and James Franklin actually talked about this in the post game. So if you want to check it out on our YouTube channel, we have the the full post game press conference. He talked about that play in detail more than he does most plays um, where they had a fake check to the sideline. Um, so Sean Clifford looks over to the sideline quickly and then snaps the football immediately. And the safety who's coming down, who's, who's trying to give the illusion that there's a deep safety. He's coming down. He sees Clifford look at the sideline. He looks at the sideline and when he's looking, they snap the football. So in his reaction, he takes outside contain, um, which would have worked except for the fact that the most important thing is you've got to maintain your blocks up front. And Drew Shelton, the the left side of the line, Drew Shelton and Theo Johnson got excellent down blocks on the backside of that run. It opened up a crease. And then when you give Nick Singleton a clear running lane and there's no deep safety game over like that, that's that's how that play evolved from what would have been probably a stop to or, or, you know, barely a conversion in a in a run stuffing front. Um turns into an 87-yard touchdown because of some of the things that they did pre-snap with Clifford and with, with uh, you know, the fake check to the sideline. So, you know, KG move, very smart design, and Drew Shelton played a hell of a game. He was doing some really impressive things as a run blocker. I was impressed by maybe not the overall, he wasn't dominant on every single play, 
But there were a couple plays that Nick Singleton, Nick Singleton got loose because he threw a dude to the ground. So, you know, and he's a freshman. So that was a really impressive uh, performance and kind of a, a step forward for him after a month of bull prep and, uh, you know, a month of starting. And it, we should mention here that Fashion did not play this game. It, it, I found it interesting, like towards the end of the season, it seemed like every week he was a game day decision. Yeah, I thought for sure after six weeks uh, between end of regular season and bowl game, we would definitely see him. But it looked like one of those where this kid has too much of a future. We're not going to risk anything by bringing him back before he's completely ready. Yeah, and that's what James Franklin said in the pre-bowl game press conference was part of the conversation about him not going pro was he want, he didn't want to rush the recovery from whatever injury he suffered, which clearly was more than just a bump and a bruise. You know, it was not season-ending, but it, it, it was like right on, based on the timeline, it was clearly season-ending. It was just right on that timeline of, will he be back for the bowl game? Will he not? How is he going to feel about that? And there's, you know, with the way Shelton was playing, um, there was no immediate reason to uh, force things, especially in a game, you know, the Rose Bowl and all those things that uh, we love about the game. It is it's a postseason game that isn't the college football playoff. So he didn't play. You know, I feel like I'm stating the obvious of like it was it, he was a game time decision. But really, the decision was unless he's fully, completely healthy, mentally checked in and doesn't think about it. I'm assuming it was his a lower body injury based the way that he limped off the field. They weren't going to risk it. And luckily for Penn State, they didn't need him. Another interesting thing about this was we talked a lot about the red shirts at the end of the season and playing guys down the stretch and not being able to play the full complement of your depth. Um, let me look at this quickly, but I don't think a lot of guys got into the game. Sal Wormley played most of the snaps. Drew Shelton, Hunter Norzad played 55 snaps in the game. Um, Sal Wormley and Juice Scrubs, Scruggs played 50. So they played the entire game anyway. Penn State talked about playing guys and having depth on the offensive line. And then the starters that played the end of the season, they started the whole game anyway. So, you know, sometimes these conversations don't go anywhere. It looked like it was Bryce Effner in the first half who struggled a bit. And then Caden Wallace did come in in the second half, correct? Caden Wallace came in in the second half uh, for 20 snaps, according to PFF. Um, in that third quarter, a little bit later, I think Efner came out at halftime and still played. Efner was good. Um, I, I don't think he was the issue. The right side of the offensive line, it was more Sal Wormley that I think had an issue with some of the stunts and some pass protection issues. Uh, Efner played a pretty clean game. Um, I'll have to go back and look and see specifically if he was a part of the problem in those situations. But uh, his his work as a run blocker and that right side of the offensive line, um, they came to play, especially in that first half, opening up some big runs for Singleton, getting a touchdown from five yards out and on third and two in the T formation. Um, they, they were good. You know, Penn State fans were worried about can this offensive line take a step forward? And I think overall, in this game against a good team that maybe doesn't have superior athletes like Ohio State and Michigan, but plays a really good brand of football, Penn State pushed them around as much as maybe Penn State's defense got pushed around at times. So it was an even game between the offensive line that got a lot of love before the game and the Penn State 
offensive line that continually gets questioned, and they were the better pass protectors overall. So they were the better line, and then they won the game. I get the feeling that that offensive line has turned a corner. That's a topic for another day, though. Let's get back to this game. It was huge. The Singleton run put Penn State ahead. They're now up 21-14. And give Utah credit, in the first half, every time Penn State scored, Utah had the answer. Cameron Rising had the answer. That next possession, Cameron Rising with his feet gets the first down but gets injured. Yeah, You have to acknowledge that that changed things for Utah completely. Well, they, they lost their offense. So they this is the thing with running. Unless you break a big run, you don't have balance if you if you lose the ability to throw the football. So Jaquin and Jackson had 13 carries for 81 yards, and uh, Bernard, the other running back, had 11 carries for 59. So they're averaging right where they need to, like over five yards per carry. But if you don't have a threat of throwing the football with a backup quarterback in, it doesn't matter because eventually you need to be able to do that in third down. Very good, uh, T. Frank. That's it for quarter number three. We have quarter four yet to go. Stay tuned for that. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number four. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. We're wrapping up our Rose Bowl review. Uh, T. Frank, we got to the point in going through the game. Nick Singleton's long run put Penn State ahead. Next possession, Cameron Rising gets hurt. Utah has to go to their backup quarterback. I thought they, I think they got a first down or two before they forced him into an interception, forced the turnover. Yeah, and you get the feeling now with Penn State's defense, if they get the lead where they're able to pressure the quarterback, especially when it's a backup quarterback, they just plain smell blood when that occurs. They sense weakness. Yeah. And then they go after you. Yeah. And so you see the difference between Cam Rising, who is able to elude pressure and has that ability to find the right moment to break the pocket. And to force it, you know, to make you pay for not getting home. Penn State tried 
in the first half to stunt and to loop him into some pressures. And if they finally got there at the end of the first half, but you know, when a guy is slipping and falling down, trying to cut and it starts to rain a little bit, you, you see what rising's impact was beyond just throwing the football. Cause he also threw a bad interception. Um, I don't know that he threw one as bad <laughs> as the one that the backup quarterback did on that play. I understand what he's trying to do. You have a six foot five receiver versus uh, I think it was Johnny Dixon on that play. So he's just trying to loft the ball over, give a, you know, something above the rim for that guy to catch but it's inside the numbers. So he didn't place the ball to the outside away from uh, the, 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 the cornerback. Additionally, and Kirk Herbstreit did a great job of pointing this out, Tig Brown was on that hash. So Penn State's in, in man coverage, and the, the safety is shaded to that side of the field because Vele was their number one receiver. He was really the only receiver that was a threat. So he's over on that side of the ball anyway. And that, those are the awareness and recognition you have with the backup quarterback that is just different. And the execution, that's just different where the ball, uh, he put the ball on the money to a couple of receivers that dropped them, uh, the the tight end Yasmin. But in that situation, that was a really, that was a really bad throw. And, you know, Penn State didn't score off of that, but it killed an opportunity to respond and get points. And And when you put the game pressure on Utah without rising, without Reisner, they didn't have the offense to respond and going back to the, the ability to evade pressure, Penn state finally got home. Like one of the things I said is they're going to get either one sack or seven sacks, you know, or five, which is, which is what it ended up being because if you're putting Utah in those situations, Penn state's pass rush is better than what they've seen this year. They haven't seen anybody like chop Robinson and Abdul Carter and Adisa Isaac. And that's kind of, that's ultimately the game script didn't go their way because of the things we've talked about. And that's why, because they were able to score points on offense and give the defense, as you said, the opportunity to smell blood in the water and go after them, including Tig Brown, who, if you look at his, his stats in this game, they're a little bit ridiculous. Two sacks, five pressures, an interception, um, and allowed one catch for five yards. He was phenomenal in this game. He filled up the box score, as they say in basketball. Yeah. He he filled up the box score. Let's talk about that a second here. I thought it was wonderful for this Penn State team. The seniors going out the door, you have a ver- both a very veteran and a very young team in Penn State. You mm-hmm. have the Sean Cliffers, P.J. Mustafers, Tig Brown, and then you have uh, the youngsters also. I didn't mention Joey Porter. But it was nice to see, and I'd like you to comment on the game that Sean Clifford had, which, as we said, probably as good a game as he's had in his Penn State career. And then you had Tig Brown, who's done a lot of special things in his time at Penn State. This may have also been the best game of his career also. Yes. Um, So, so how, how how do I put this? It's always... The slander for Sean Clifford is not far from the compliment. And that's that's un, it's an unfair thing to do right now. But Tig Brown's had more good games and right. he's had he's had more outstanding performances. So this is another one in a long list of his accomplishments. Um, maybe it's best phrased this way. 
uh, last on on the show, on the live show, the post game show, talking about Sean Clifford, my co-host Tom Hannafin asked me, "Does this Rose Bowl win and through time, does this change your perception of Sean Clifford?" And I said, "No." Because I, I'm not a fan. Like the story and the narrative is excellent, and I'm very happy for him. But it doesn't change who he is as a quarterback. Like we, I, I laid out for you the reasons why he had a very good game. Utah was giving, in my opinion, incorrect coverages to him that are to his advantage. Um, but he put together the best game of his career. Tig Brown put together a statement game to the NFL that says, You can't ignore me. I can make plays at every level of the football field. Last season, he was an excellent free safety to uh, um, Jaquan Brisker, Jaquan who Brisker. played in the box, right? Who who played that boundary safety. This year, Tig took over that role as kind of more the playmaker in underneath coverage in the box. He was a quarterback spy for most of the season where he's reading the quarterback and getting into passing lanes and breaking things up. But in this game, you know, he still plays the the free at times. He still has that responsibility based on the, the, the coverage and the call. And he gets an interception and a return. He plays in the box in many Diaz's defense. And as um, Curtis Jacobs said before the season, if you can get home to the quarterback, it changes your life. So he showed that he can play um, in underneath coverage and he can rush the passer. So it's always going to depend on his height, weight, speed when it comes to the NFL. But this was a game that says I'm a player. And I can make big time plays. Um, and again, th- we talk about this team and these players and how they're kind of going out, as James Franklin calls it, the right way. But I'll just call it the old school way. Tig Brown played 68 plays in this game out of 86. He played the game because, you know, he he wanted to go out in his last game and they put on a show that doesn't always line up. You can everyone wants Cam Rising wanted to put on a show, right? But he gets knocked out of the game. He's not as effective as a, as a passer. Penn State's best players came in and will willed their team to a victory. And both those guys, I think, deserve the credit and deserve all the love and the praise that they're getting today. Um, Clifford, especially given the polarizing nature of his existence as Penn State's quarterback. But you're you're right to point out Jair Brown as another guy who had an equally outstanding game. When you talk about Sean Clifford going to the other side there. Does this very good game does not make him a good NFL quarterback? Okay. But what it does, I think, is it changes a bit of his legacy as a college quarterback and more specifically the Penn State quarterback. Because as the quarterback, you are judged by the team's record also. A few years back, remember they. They won double-digit games. They beat Mm -hmm. Memphis in, what was it, the Cotton Bowl. That was a good season. Sean Clifford had to live with the last two years and the fact that they were an 11-11, a 500 team for two years with him as the quarterback. Now he gets to go out 11-2. I kind of ignore those records that they popped up on the screen the Penn State all-time leader in touchdowns and yards and blah, 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 because that was, he accumulated stats by being there for six years. But I will judge him more on the fact that they were 11-2 and two this year. Yep, we want to make the playoffs, but 11-2, and two, it ain't bad. And another top 10 finish, right? Yeah, so it's interesting because 
we talk about Sean Clifford being at Penn State for so long, but let's really break that down. He starts in 2019 for the first time. He threw 10 passes in 2018, right? So he's a redshirt freshman, and he doesn't get on the field until his third season at Penn State, or maybe his, I, the timeline is terrible in my brain. I'm not good at these things. But um, 2019, he only started four years, and one of those years, 2020, was an abbreviated season. So there were not a full complement of games, and yet he's still in this position with all these passing yards, going through the adversity he went through of multiple coordinators. And, uh, you know, again, people don't care, but COVID and that season had a long-lasting effect on this team that obviously bled over into 2021. So his... I, I think that the narrative stories are all... They're not my bag. You know, they're not what I do specifically. But, you know, the the farther we get away from the emotion of this, the more we can actually analyze what he was as a quarterback. And what he was was a good college quarterback put in a bad situation for two straight years. And he came through adversity to have uh, to bookend his career with 11 win seasons. And I love I love that because I don't know what to do with that. You know, I don't know what to do with a guy that won two New Year's Six Bowls, was a good player but clearly wasn't he using the word elite because very few quarterbacks are, but he was not the driving force of this team the entire year, both seasons that they were good. They had a good running game and they were led by a balanced attack on both sides of the football. And once they got back to having a good football team, Sean Clifford was an effective quarterback who threw for 2,800 yards and 24 touchdowns and seven interceptions and had a, you know, a good passer rating, was an exemplary statistical example of what a quarterback should be in an offense, but he's not a first round pick and he's not, he's not the guy. So narratives and all those things that's for other people to write. But I I think it is fascinating to look at his career and we say he's been here for six years, but he played four just like every other quarterback. Well, Four years as a starter, though, is unusual in the college game. In the last minute we have left, and we're going to have plenty of time to go over Sean Clifford's legacy during this offseason. In the big picture now, what does this Rose Bowl mean to this team getting an 11th win, finishing top 10, going into next season? Positive momentum is a thing that you can't ignore but I think is is temporary. And that's the biggest thing is like, this is great. This is temporary. So huge momentum. I think the legacy conversation and the monkey off the back of James Franklin for people who cared about signature wins. He's got a signature win, but you can also discredit the game because Cam Rising got hurt. That's up to you. I can't change how people feel about that. And I don't think that it won't, won't change to a large degree anyway, but it's good. There's no denying it's good. I think this game does provide some positive momentum going into the offseason for those players that are returning. They know what it feels like to win a big bowl game. Now, can they take the next step? And we've got the entire offseason to talk about it. But for today, that's it for our show. Hope you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network.